Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Well, we know all too well that the pressures for parents and carers who've been supporting their children's education through remote learning over the last 18 months, the experience has been intense, especially for families in Victoria due to the ongoing and extended, dare I say, sixth lockdown. (laughs) And of course, naturally, all parents and carers at this point in time are concerned in one way or another about their children's education and the impact, of course, these extended periods away from the classrooms may have on them. Thankfully, of course, you know, we're starting to have these discussions about the transition back to the classroom. However, of course, you know, it's been noted that there may be a hybrid model of these two for some time. So if you're a parent that could do with some expert tips um, about some homeschooling whilst we're still in this transition phase, you're definitely in the right place. So to help share some of this expert information and advice today, we are thrilled and very honoured to welcome our special guest. Dr. Tom Brunzel. He is the Director of Education at Family Service or at the organisation Berry Street. He's also the co-author of Creating Trauma-Informed Strengths-Based Classrooms and an honorary fellow at the University of Melbourne Graduate School of Education. Thank you so much for your time today and for joining us. How are you? Rachel, glad to be here today. This is um, doing okay. Yeah, considering that we're both in Melbourne and that we're both sort of in in this uh, sixth lockdown, um, it's so great to hear that you're so so positive and, and buoyant. <laughs> now, there's lots to cover today, but I'd love to just ask you initially. You know, what are you going to be chatting with us today about? Well, I, Rachel, we're going to talk about some of the impacts that are happening for families, particularly our children, as they're experience, experiencing this very unpredictable world we now find ourselves in. And then I, we're going to turn to some proactive strategies, uh, not just for at-home learning, but I know the time is now to proactively start talking about our schools and in-person learning. And I want to give some ideas around what parents can advocate back to their teachers and schools to support their young people. Oh, well, there's lots to cover. And I wanted to just acknowledge that you've done some research at the University of Melbourne specifically on this topic, um, and that investigates trauma-informed strategies for schools um, and both the negative impacts of secondary traumatic stress um, and the positive impacts of well-being on teachers and leaders. So that's um, really, really what I guess we need to be able to start to understand more about at the moment. So initially, I'd love to know, what are your thoughts on the impact this extended remote learning um, has um, had in the short, middle and long term on students and their education? Like, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I want to make sure, first and foremost, we're using our language in the most helpful way possible. So, you know, the word trauma is certainly used quite often these days, and rightly so. And so I want to provide, I think, a helpful definition uh, that can be extend to all of us. Uh, at Barry Street, we work with vulnerable families and their children. And so we realize that when a child ex- has experienced 
experience adversity firsthand, that uh, that left unmanaged can lead them to see the world is no longer good and safe. Now, that's a big open definition on purpose because I'm an educator, an education researcher. So that means I'm not a clinician or a psychologist or a therapist. So, you know, the professional line for me is I'm not assessing a child's past. However, I'm working with children right here in the present and charting a course for their future. And so when I know a young person does not see the world as good and safe, then they're going to try to meet their own needs, sometimes in healthy ways, sometimes in unhealthy ways. And so directly experiencing these things absolutely can facilitate an understanding that the world doesn't feel right to catch us. However, it's not just directly experiencing these things that we're concerned about, but we often use the word vicarious experience. That's when we listen to details, are exposed to information, and every single person on our planet is now continuously exposed to this uncertainty. And you and I are both Victorians experiencing this strange moment of being the most locked down uh, (laughs) community in the world. How did that happen? But here we are. And so I don't think it's as easy as just saying, oh, the world's there to catch us. It's going to be okay. Uh, Because we don't know what the world will look like in a month or two months or next year. So all of this is to say, when we perceive the world as uncertain, we must have proactive strategies in place for ourselves and for the children that we love and support. Yes, well said. And from that research um, that we were just mentioning before, I mean, do you think that remote learning has created, I guess, any negative impacts and any like secondary traumatic stress um, on children? And if so, how? Absolutely. So we know now from the research of the last 18 months that vulnerable learners have been made more vulnerable. We understand from concerns of systemic inequity and the community concerns that we at Barry Street support, that families are struggling right now. It is hard for all of us, but particularly for families and for parents doing their best every day. It is tough. And Rachel, you and I are not gonna have any easy answers right now because it's not an easy problem. But we do know that Young people need community. They need relationships. They need opportunities to move their bodies. They need opportunities to set goals for themselves and meet and exceed those goals. And so the province of the classroom is really the place where so much of that happens in the most routine and predictable way. And so without that daily community, what we have is this sort of weird, I'm not going to say poor replacement because I know so many people are doing their best for online learning but let's face it, it is not the same. And so we can completely understand why parents are very frustrated right now saying, I'm trying to learn how to become a teaching assistant on the job. And my heart goes out to them because I love our professional teaching assistants. And that requires many years of training and on the job experience. So hopefully we'll get to provide some strategies for that later. And Milkberry Street really is an, an incredible organisation. I understand that you guys have provided services to children, young people and families for over, I think it's 140 years, which is really yes, unbelievable. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, today, from my understanding, you're one of Australia's largest independent family service organisations. So can you just maybe talk to us just really quickly, typically what types of services you're providing to families throughout the p- pandemic, um, just to give us an indication? 
Yeah, absolutely. So I have the privilege to work with a fleet of social workers, clinicians, youth workers, case managers, and all of our support staff on the ground and in our offices helping make this work happen. Uh, We do work with vulnerable families, often in the child protection system. And so uh, we are asked as Barry Street to provide that care and support, case management, clinical and therapeutic services. And I'm the director of education, uh, which means that I support our education services across the state and beyond. Uh, We have a number of ways that we help young people connect to school. Uh, These are young people with uh, histories of educational disruption. And also, we get to help schools across the country and beyond. Uh, We've developed an approach to learning called the Berry Street Education Model. And that is a trauma-informed practice approach for strengths and for on-task learning to help kids meet their own needs in healthy ways. So we we think about care and social and educational care as a wraparound uh, approach because we know that as a community, particularly these days, uh, it requires uh, a whole team of people to support our families. Yes. Um, well, there's a lot to cover today. Um, I just wanted to acknowledge you guys are doing and have been doing incredible work for such a long time. So, um, you know, thank you for just for thank helping you. so many families. And no doubt during the pandemic, this is something that um, has been a challenge for all organisations um, dealing with vulnerable families and or any any families in any socio-demographic. Um, but uh, just before we sort of get into stuck into all the questions, I wanted to acknowledge, of course, we published your article and mm. the title of that is Teacher Assistant 101, Strategies that Every Parent and Carer Can Learn to Support at Home Learning. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, can you please tell us what it's about and, of course, what inspired you to write it? Yeah, so it was a crash course for me. <laughs> I'll talk about me and myself first because... As we were entering our third lockdown, fourth lockdown, uh, you know, we started asking our parents and carers at Barry Street, what do you need? You know, what you don't need are researchers and people on air saying things that just don't relate to you. So what do you need right now? And uh, what came through loud and clear from the voices and experiences of the families we support is, we need strategies to become teachers fast. And it's, you know, it's just, we feel overwhelmed. We feel like the expectations are unclear from the schools that we are, that, you know, we're getting support from. And, you know, of course, I'm not throwing every school under this particular uh, critique, but uh, we know that, you know, schools are doing their best, parents are doing their best, but parents needed strategies to support the learning. Also, parents were rightly worried about something that none of us know, which is what are going to be the long-term impacts on learning and child development and uh, relational, you know, relational health uh, and well-being into the future. And so the, the article uh, that we wrote for Kidopedia very much was centered on teaching assistant what do great teachers assistants do and what do I think parents absolutely can do to support learning at home, but also to offer some hope that says, you know what, you're not alone. There are many, many of us in the community, a lot of us at Barry Street who realize this is the long haul story and we're working together. Yes. And of course, we'll have a link in the show notes to your article. Um, I just wanted to ask also, 
touching on this hybrid model um, and remote learning, um, do you think that that will continue post lockdown um, as I know every state um, and territory is affected differently um, naturally, but do you think that the hybrid model will, will continue post lockdown and parents, you know, will continue to be required uh, to support their children's education at home? Like what's your thoughts about that? Yeah, Rachel, you're putting me in a position where I hadn't at the I might have to deliver some disappointing news. I, I I do think that we as responsible, proactive adults need to be prepared that next year is probably not going to be so smooth sailing. Yes, we are committed, I hope, as a community toward reaching our vaccination targets. Uh, however, we also know that we need to be prepared for the um, local outbreaks of the coronavirus or, or the Delta variant, and we need to be prepared prepared that certain schools or communities may be told at a moment's notice, we need you to stay at home for a period of time. And so it would be foolhardy for us to think that we're going to reach Christmas and we are all going to jump out of our homes together. I hope that happens. But also, I do believe that the, the topic uh, of strategies we're talking about today is going to be quite relevant for some time. Yes. Well, Getting back to your article for a moment, you provide uh, three strategies in particular that adults can action at home that teachers and I guess teachers assistants do every day in the classroom. I just wondered if you could just really quickly just um, just touch on the three of them. Of course, everyone can read the article and extract all of your fantastic and um, beautifully written information. But the first point you, you list is co-regulation when hitting a speed bump. Could you maybe just tell us what that means and what that's about? Yeah, I'd love to. So in our research and in our new book, we talk a lot about the importance of the strength of self-regulation. Through worldwide research, it's very clear that an important ingredient to resilient young people is the ability to stay self-regulated when you reach a speed bump, whether that's a speed bump in learning or a speed bump in life. And what we also know is that trauma and chronic stress and adversity, the kinds of things we've all been experiencing as a community for quite some time now, that impacts our ability to remain self-regulated. You know, we're all kind Kind of in a well, I, I am going to make a sweeping generalization. So if your listeners are like, well, I don't know, if that's me, but I'm going to take a jump here. We are living, particularly in the states of Victoria and New South Wales, in 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 a state of hypervigilance. Every day we are checking the news. We are hoping for a shred of good good news. Anything Our, good? <laughs> anything good? Our children are also doing the same thing and they're mirroring us and they are looking for good news and they're social mediaing themselves trying to find some relational connection and some sense that the world will go return to what they want it to be all of this impacts our ability to stay self-regulated to stay focused to find our body center and so we often at in our practice and research will say in order to do that to support children to build self-regulation we as adults can be co-regulators uh, or and, and facilitate, facilitate co-regulation a great example of that is when we uh, have a newborn in our arms and where do we place the newborn? We hold the newborn, we rock with rhythm, and we hold that baby's head on our heart. For us, 
that thumping heart rate, that regulating sense is the first co-regulation that many of us get if we are blessed enough to have those kinds of experiences. And so what we can do with children and young people is not scoop them up and rock them. That would not be appropriate for a lot of, we're all teachers out there, don't do that. But we can do co-regulation non-verbally through our body positioning. We often, uh, we often suggest shoulder to shoulder, side by side. Think about riding in a car with a child or young person. You know, that's when you're moving together, you're non-confrontationally looking at each other, and the conversation begins to flow. So that's co-regulation. The second uh, step in the article, uh, we talked about relational micro moments. And simply there, uh, we all would agree that Building strong relationships is important for human beingness, but particularly for learning. <clears throat> you know, that's my my area of the world is, uh, you know, 21st century people have to work creatively, collaboratively. We have to be in relationships with people we don't always love want to be around, but we've got to do it. And so I would like adults to think relationship is often thought of as this big thing. Like I have a really good relationship or I don't have, I have not such a great relationship right now, but I, we talked about in the article, we want you to narrow way down to micro moments of relationship because it's in those micro moments of relationship, the way that you validate someone with a quick nonverbal thumbs up or a knock on the shoulder, say, Hey, great job. Or that moment where you see someone escalating in front of you and you just take a breath together and say, wow, this is hard. That moment of empathy, those are micro moments. And I don't know about you, Rachel, but right now I'll take any micro moment that I can get. (laughs) Uh, The third element is being strengths-based. Now, I know that can sound pretty Pollyanna-ish and I'm not a Polly, I'm a realist. Uh, And uh, I'd like to consider that strengths-based are ensuring, number one, every single one of our children knows what's great about them, what's strong about them, the character strengths they show. I'm a curious person. I'm a brave person. I'm a resilient person. I'm a self-regulated person sometimes. Having children understand you've got these strengths in you, and it's our job as adults to give you opportunities to practice those things, that helps us stay in the mind frame when we're caring and educating kiddos. There are things that are going wrong right now. That's true, but there's also things that are going right. And so what are those strengths and how do we replicate those conditions to allow a young person to flourish? And you also mentioned um, to chunk up the lesson. What does that mean? Yes. Oh, yes. Great teacher's assistants know. It's not seeing a period of learning as an hour at a time. That's pretty overwhelming for the best of us. And I certainly know in home learning, that can seem like a marathon. Instead, great educators and teachers assistants know it's about three minutes, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes. We call it chunking the lesson. And we want to make that very obvious to kids because I work with a number of schools that support very vulnerable learners. These are teenagers and children who have never finished a chapter book in their life, right? So the idea of looking at a 50-page reader is like, whoa, I can't do that. And we say, no, we don't expect you to do that today. We're going to chunk it up for you. And we're going to set micro goals and help you meet those 
goals. Same thing for on-task learning. If we know that a young person is struggling to stay on task with that assignment or that reading or sitting at the kitchen table, just keeping going, and that person looks up after seven minutes, that's great for us. We'll take seven minutes. I'll take seven minutes off task versus seven minutes not on task. And so chunking the lesson means we'll take your seven minutes. We're going to give you a quick brain. We call them brain breaks where we want to call attention to the body and the breath and keep them moving. So Mm -hmm. their body has a sense to renew and then get them back down for another five to seven minutes. That's how we build stamina for learning is chunking it up, giving clear options to move and then get right back into it. So a lot of that information goes into great detail in your article, which we mentioned. We'll have um, the uh, the link in the show notes as well. But is, so this is for parents to read the article and to take what you're saying to us um, today and to, to figure out how they can implement this in a homeschooling environment and what tips they can sort of take away that work for them and their children, would you say? Absolutely. Yeah. And you also mentioned um, uh, like a, st- a strengths-based classroom. What is that? And how how does that sort of, I guess, align to any parent um, that is is likely to be in that ongoing um, hybrid model of uh, remote learning? Yeah. Strengths-based classroom, build on what I was saying before around making sure that we acknowledge what's right with the learning, which what's right right now with what your child is doing well. We know that in this time of quick escalation, we are all kind of on edge that if we go in with the critique or that was, you know, a softer word might be fix it feedback. We like that word in classrooms. We're going to give you fix it feedback. Everybody needs fix it feedback. We can have, we can see kids arc up quickly and say, oh, no, 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 tell me what to do. So we certainly understand that kids are the fairness police, right? They're always sort of looking at what we're saying and doing and thinking that's fair, that's fair, and that's not so fair. (laughs) So we definitely encourage uh, the adults uh, here to start with what's working well, www, what's working well. And and when you want to provide fixed feedback to make sure you are absolutely capitalizing on, wow, you have started this, you have maintained five minutes, would you like a would you like a quick tip and you know it's always invitational for us with vulnerable learners and so you know would it be okay with you if i gave you a quick tip and you know most kids will look at us and grunt and say okay and we'll say okay that's an invitation also great teachers assistants are not looking at the page even if we look at a piece of say a child's writing and we see seven mistakes uh it's very overwhelming for any of us to see here all seven of those uh mistakes uh, in fix it feedback at once. So we are always scanning the page to see what's the opportunity here. What's the one thing that this kid could fix while they're remaining in an openness to learn mindset that they will hear that feedback and apply it. It can, it can be sort of counterintuitive to a lot of people who are not trained as teachers. Well, I'm not, if, if I let a error go on the page, does that mean I've just praised it or given consent to it? No. What we're doing is very specifically uh, through what we like to call a developmental lens, which is the right fix-it feedback at the right time. That's part of the skill of knowing how to give feedback. And I think that's easy to learn once you realize some of the tenets that I've been talking about just now. 
Mm. And just going back to what we were talking about with the research that you've done in trauma awareness as well, um, I'd love to understand from your perspective and all your experience um, and research, you know, why do you believe, I guess, that trauma awareness is really important in schools um, and with that for teachers, for parents and for any school leader at all? The science of trauma and where trauma aware and trauma informed education is new. And when I say new, I'm talking about the last 15 years or so uh, in the scientific literature around, you know, that's where uh, researchers like me are looking for the proof and presenting new ideas. The robustness of trauma-informed practice for schools uh, really took off in the last 15 years because we finally had the science around the impacts of chronic stressors, the impacts of child adversity on learning. And arising from that science are now clear strategies where we're saying, number one, for educators and parents and carers to understand what's happening, I'd like you to consider, is this willingness or capacity? I want to set that kind of polarity up for us tonight, because if a child is willingly making a poor choice, like they are fully scanning the room and saying, I'm going to make this poor choice. Uh, then a lot of us adults will jump into lecture mode and we'll start saying to this kid, you made a poor choice. Poor choices are not how you're going to get an education. You need to get to university. And suddenly we're treating this like the child's made a choice. Now it looks like choices. However, capacity means did this child did, did this child have the ability to make a healthy choice or was this child running on high alert where the, was this child uh, n- unable to regulate themselves yes. after experiencing a speed bump in which case this child like all of us are going to catastrophize react and the children we support at Berry Street have what we call elevated baselines for stress tolerance now that's a mouthful just to say if you are living a life in chronic stress then just one look or one move will set you off yeah and that for us is a capacity issue so what can we do to increase a child's capacity to make better decisions well that's the signs of trauma informed practice Practice, uh, in a nutshell, uh, we ask we ask the educators and parents in our lives to begin considering what are the conditions and what unmet need is this child trying to meet at this time? Is it a need for attention? Is it a need for control? Is it a need for self-expression? All of those things are human needs. All of us have those needs. As adults, Rachel, you and I can meet those needs in pretty healthy ways when we're fully firing and on a rough day, we might meet our needs in unhealthy ways, uh, but that's not what we're talking about today. (laughs) But so with the, the trauma awareness then um, for children that may not um, come from uh, a, a vulnerable um, environment, how do you think that this this point in time then is, is likely to affect them in the short, middle and long term? And what can parents do? Um, for example, my nephew um, who is, is very... Um, Astute and 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 he does he's yeah I think he's a year or two in front I think of his English and his maths um, he still has these little meltdowns naturally um, so I just wonder in understanding how this awareness this trauma awareness um, is is likely to be relevant also to, to other families um, in the same situation with extended um, remote learning um, 
so so what I'm hearing is is that just depending where the child is at and where their baseline is at for the day and or for that subject and how they're feeling is likely how how they're going to react. Is that what you're saying maybe? I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. So how do we support ourselves in these moments, right? Mm. It's going to feel counterintuitive what I'm about to say, but these are what I'm going to lean on the experts we have on our team around behavior analysis, right? So this idea is we don't focus on the hair on fire moments. I mean, those are scary moments. Things are going wrong. Everybody's escalated. Adrenaline is obvious. The strategy in those moments is keep people safe, keep the child safe, keep yourself safe. That's not the point of intervention. That's just called the point of triage. The attention that I want us to shift to, again, so much easier to say than to do, right? So I understand what I'm giving is sort of our best practices, and then we support schools and families to do this, uh, is to focus on preemptive ways of communication because so many of the children who are struggling, they have lost a relationship with their own bodies because their brains are in protective mode. Their bodies are in, you know, their bodies are in escalated mode. And what we try to do is provide strategies to help children notice their own bodies and then proactively seek support and say, I need help. Like, you know, so many help, so many adults in our lives realize, oh my gosh, yes. If he just said, I'm frustrated, I'm about to hit some other kid real fast, or I'm about to shove all this on the floor. If you don't help me now, that's a gift. And to figure out ways of communication so the child feels safe enough to vulnerably seek support before the hair on fire moments. Mm. So some strategies I'd like to share are consider, <coughs> excuse me, mm. some strategies I'd like to share are nonverbal strategies, because for a lot of the children we support, taking a breath and expressing yourself in this way is a new thing. Uh, however, great teacher's assistants are constantly doing things like passing, passing post-it notes between each other, right? So it can start with a post-it note with a smile on it. It can start with a post-it note that just says, keep going, great job, you know, just sort of happy, benign language. But also, if you struggle, just write your question on this note or write the number that you need me to help with. And a lot of parents have appreciated this post-it note strategy because parents said to us, look, I got to work too. I'm over here. My kid's on the other side of the living room. I cannot be interrupted every five minutes. And so we're saying, yes, but if your child is proactively seeking support, you got to use that well. So the post-it note can, you can have a table and just say, Hey, I'm going to put a note on your edge of your table. You put it on mine. We're going to look at each other's notes through the day. Also passing a special notebook or having nonverbal systems of communication. That is a way to open up a child's mind to say, ah, Adults will help me, but it is my job to let them know when I do need help. So one is the post-it note strategy. Another is what we call, and I said this a few times already today, managing speed bumps. So I want adults to be quite conscious when you're managing a speed bump in front of your children to take a breath you know, you are certainly allowed to say, wow, this is, this sucks. I don't want to be here right now. You know, be a human being 
and let your child see that this is not cool for you either. And you are kind of letting out some steam, but then to breathe and center yourself and say, wow, this is definitely a problem. This is a speed bump. We're going to find a solution. We're going to do this together. And to actually model the steps that you're doing in these micro moments of rupture to show children that our job is to repair. In fact, that's what we are going to be doing the rest of our lives is repairing relationships and repairing things that we need to go back and fix. So that would be a wonderful way to uh, promote taking your care of your own needs when learning at home. So when kids are back in the classroom, they have already practiced this with repetition a number of times. And so many of these um, skills that you're teaching sort of go far beyond just education. It's about the emotional regulation in all aspects of life. And if they can do that and regulate um, in their childhood, that's going to fare them well. So for the rest of their life. So no doubt these skills um, are just not for the the short term. That's for sure. Yes. <laughs> and I just wanted to acknowledge all the, the great work that the teachers have been doing and how tough this has been on them also. So like from your point of view, how can we best support our teachers in this situation as well? Uh, well, remembering teachers hold many hats. And so I hope that a lot of teachers are also listening today. I think what uh, teachers will appreciate is frequent communication. Uh, And also, I know uh, as a teacher person myself, I would love parents to be asking teachers things like, well, what are you doing in the classroom to facilitate verbal and nonverbal communication? What are you doing in the classroom to ask my child in Brown? We call it checking in for learning, which is how are you going? Rate your learning right now. Is, is it five fingers? It's I'm smooth sailing. I don't need a lot of support or three fingers. I, I do have a question or one I'm stuck. You know, if, if parents can ask what teachers are doing, because great teachers are doing all these things, Uh, and we certainly support teachers to do that, then parents can say, ah, I want to learn those things so I can do them at home as well. So our children feel a real consistency uh, between home and school. And that creates a predictability that tells uh, the child, the world is safe. We're working together. The things that you're seeing here also work outside the classroom too. As well. Look, we've covered off some, um, well, lots of helpful information today. If you, I guess, were to summarize your key messages for anyone watching and listening, what would they be? Oh, how do you summarize we, all this? Yeah, that, uh, yeah. Well, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll try. <laughs> um, I, I like, uh, I think there's three questions. I'll summarize our talk in three questions. One is, What's not working well right now? Like, again, we, we need to address the things that our, our children need. However, I want to reframe that to what unmet need is this kid trying to meet? So even that languaging helps us as adults stay in a positive frame of mind, which says, all right, this kid can kind of be a pain. This kid looks like he's taking it out on me, but this kid is meeting a need. That is a tool for us even more than the kid to just keep ourselves breathing and staying in this present moment. Uh, The second is after what unmet need is this kid making uh, and trying to meet? Uh, 
what strengths is this kid showing right now? And what is right with this kid? That's the third question. Because the, the message of strengths is we need to positively prime ourselves as caring adults to th- say, oh, this kid is doing his best. We have unconditional positive regard for this kid and for ourselves. Uh, and this reframe just helps us stay in thinking brain as adults. Dr. Tom Brunzel, thank you so much for your time today. Um, if parents have got any questions for you and or would like to find out more um, and uh, reach out, I guess, to, to Berry Street, whereabouts can they find you guys? Absolutely. We're easy to find on all the social media stuffs. Just look <laughs> up Berry Street. And if you're looking for me, just look up Berry Street Education Model and I'll be easy to find out there. Wonderful. I have all of those links in the show notes. Take care and uh, stay safe and uh, hope for, Thank you, for the opportunity to have another chat with you again in the future. Until then, take care. Sure thing. Bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kiddypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kiddypedia by visiting our website at kiddypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Thank you for listening, and be sure to give my love to the kids. Kids.